Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast. Hello and you're welcome back to this week's episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. Folks, we've another fascinating episode ahead. A few weeks ago, we did a whole episode on teenagers with Stella O'Malley and so many of you tuned in for that episode we thought that's what you're interested in. And we do a little bit more in the parenting space with experts and tips and tricks. It's no surprise, parenting can be challenging. And with all the information in the world out there and social media broadcasting everyone's opinions, finding out what to do can be really, really complicated. So this week, we thought we'd bring one of the leading experts in Ireland to give us some of his very best parenting advice. Adjunct Associate Professor of Psychology in UCD, Dr. David Coleman. Dr. Coleman, welcome to the show. How's it going? Uh, Carl, Dr. Coleman. Yeah, David. I did you like that? Very good. Yeah, I did like that. Yeah, just every time I hear it, it's like, oh, <laughs> all that effort wasn't worth, wasn't worth worthless. <laughs> we have to use it. How's life? How are you? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I'm 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 good. I'm busy, and um, I mean, I, I'm still essentially just doing the day job. You know, meeting with families and uh, and teenagers. That's that's who I meet with most of the time now. My clinical practice and. Um, yeah, doing other little bits and pieces, bits of radio, bits of uh, newspaper stuff. And yeah. And do you find there's as, as big a demand as ever from parents that, you know, there's so much to deal with when it comes to trying to raise a child? There's so much to navigate that you're, I'm sure, inundated with, with requests from parents. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I suppose perhaps as well, I'm, I'm a little bit better known, but um, for sure, there's a huge demand out there. I mean, I'm probably turning parents away. Uh, more often than I'm able to actually offer appointments to people. So, um, yeah, there is a huge amount out there. And in fact, even parents who do contact me will, you know, say that they've looked elsewhere and that they're really struggling to find people. So whether that's through the public services or even in private practice, it seems there's just almost no one available. Yeah, it's tough going for families at times. Over the course of the next 20 minutes, I want to chat through some of the really popular topics uh, on your Instagram. You've done lots of new work there with video content. I've seen some of the numbers and stats that you're getting, and I'm very envious. Uh, And it showed us just what people are interested in. I know vaping is something that you got a huge reaction to. How to deal with children who are vaping? Do you punish them? Is it about education? So let's start with vaping, and uh, we'll go on to something else afterwards. But it's got a massive reaction. It did, to the point that um, all of my, so my youngest son is 18, and uh, he's the only one still here in the house, but uh, all of his friends now, uh, it's become like a meme for them, you know, (laughs) so he had a few of them around uh, over the last, uh, over the weekend, and they were like, so, uh, David, yeah, like, um, you know, my 14-year-old son was caught vaping. (laughs) It's their thing now, but... um, yeah, it did get a huge reaction. And I I mean, I don't know particularly why it got such a huge reaction other than I, I do know it is a big issue. And um, I mean, I get, you know, queries about it as well from clients just when they're coming. It's an, another thing that's a bother sometimes for parents worry that their son or daughter is vaping. And I think it's because kids just see it as something that is actually not dangerous. 
because they see vapes, I think, as um, all the good bits of cigarettes with none of the bad bits of cigarettes as they might have perceived it. And so it still has that aura of cool. It still has that aura of something that's a little bit edgy, you know, and so it's kind of a thing that they can do that sets them apart from their parents that they know kind of their parents don't really approve of. And um, yeah, and so they start vaping. And, and of course, the vapes themselves are made to be incredibly addictive. You know, they're they're kind of sweet and sugary and, you know, the smells and and it's all about, you know, again, the company. And so all those associations build up for kids no more than for any other addictive substance. And then the nicotine in in the vapes themselves is highly addictive. And, and now they're introducing, you know, cannabinoids and various other things into the vapes. And so, yeah, it's a total minefield for kids and it's very easy for them to get sucked into it. And what do you do then if you're if your teenager is vaping? How do you what how do you take that on? Obviously, as a parent, they might be concerned. What's the best way to to broach it? What's the best way to try and have that conversation? Is it educate? You know, is it going the education route, or presumably it's not the punishment route, or is it? No, and well, no, it's not really punishment because I don't think with teenagers that punishment particularly works very well. I think you know when you've got younger kids, you can use a lot of. Um, kind of behavioral uh, type things where you're saying if you do this good thing then this good thing will happen if you do this bad thing then this bad thing will happen but I think by the time kids get to teenage years you've really got to be appealing to their better nature and they've got to see that you are talking to them a little bit like an adult and so your right education is really helpful so arm yourself with as much facts as you can about the dangers of vaping um, and so there are studies out there that show that, you know, there are some of the ingredients that they're putting into vapes that actually do have an impact in terms of um, people's lungs um, and, and their general kind of chestiness and stuff. Uh, so that's something to bring in. Um, but you really need to have all that to hand, because if you sound like you're going, oh, I don't like vapes, then they're going to just not be interested in anything else you might say after that. So you have to have good, good facts to hand. But I think really it's about giving them again a clear message that you just don't want them vaping because it is so bad for them and that you won't accept it and that it's never going to be something that you're going to turn a blind eye to, that you're going to accept as being okay or maybe okay for them. Now, one of the things that will do will give them, I suppose, yeah, maybe more encouragement to be more secretive and to hide vapes from you. But I think you need to come down really clearly every time you find anything related to vapes that you just don't think this is good for them, that this is bad for them. Ultimately, you know, they're going to make their own choices. And when they're away from you, you don't get to control what they do. And so they may continue to vape, but you need to give a consistent message that vapes are bad for them and that you don't accept them vaping. And that really, unfortunately, is as much as you can do then, because as I say, once they're away from you, you have to hope that they're going to make wise decisions and that they're not physiologically addicted to the nicotine in the vapes by the time you know you're giving these messages to them so that it's easy for them to kind of break some of those associations or habits that they might have so they just stop and presumably like with all the stuff that we're going to talk about the role modeling is important too so if you're vaping yourself you can't turn around your teenager and say don't be vaping because you're vaping. Yeah, yeah. Although that said, I mean, there was a time when I used to smoke and uh, and my kids discovered that I smoked and, and that was a big deal at the time. And, uh, you know, and so I, it, I never felt that held me back, though, from being really clear why I thought smoking was a bad idea for my kids. So the message I was giving them was was consistent. You know, that said, you know, for me to um, to to assume that they would never smoke or that they would never be would be hypocritical because I know from my own teenage years, you know, I was 11 when I had my first cigarette wow. uh, given to me by, um, you know, a cousin like and that's just the way it was, you know, and um 
yeah, I think I can talk. So my best friend, when I was growing up as well, uh, his family owned the local shop and uh, he used to go in and rob 10 major every so often for us and we'd go out and smoke. So, you know, that's the reality. And of course, my parents had a clue that that was my reality. And, and you know, so, um, yeah, so I think these are things kids will experiment with. These are kid, things kids will try. And so all you can do to help them change for their own sake is to give them the information that will allow them to make an informed choice about what they're doing. And, and so there's a, a whole process or a model by which we change. And, and so the first thing we have to have, of course, is some recognition that there's a problem that needs to be changed. And that's the place where most young teenagers probably aren't at. They don't see that this is a problematic behavior. They don't really see the dangers of it or that it's going to be bad for them. So that's where you start with your parenting advice. Um, and then from there, you might give them other things as they move along, uh, you know, in terms of ways that they can change or things that they might do, uh, you know, to try to break the addiction. And, and so some of that, as I say, might be about breaking some of the associations some of the places that they go with, even some of the people that they hang out with for a period of time, you know, just that they don't have all those kind of strong kind of uh, associations that would bring along the craving that will lead them back to, to vaping. And when it comes to... I'm going to frame it as more serious stuff. So, you know, alcohol, drugs, or potentially smoking, although vaping and smoking in some respects are very similar things. Vaping, smoking, alcohol, drugs, they're kind of all the same. They're kind of in the same thing. Okay. The message you want to give your kids. Yeah. Okay. And is it inevitable that through peer pressure, it's just probably something that chances are they're going to try one one of those? Or is there a way of trying to give them the confidence that they may steer through those decisions? So I think all of those um, temptations will be out there in the world for them, for sure. But if your message has been really consistent, uh, and so say, for example, with a message about drugs, if, if from the age, you know, when they were tiny, like, you know, five, six, seven, you've given consistent messages about how bad drugs are, how dangerous drugs are, how, um, you know, people who use even things like weed, which might be considered almost not a drug by some teenagers, that um, that is still associated with the drug trade because it's an illegal substance. And so people are getting shot because of weed. You know, people are actually getting murdered in Ireland because of weed. So if you give those messages to kids from early on, then, you know, by the time they hit their, you know, early teens, 13, 14, they know full well, you know, how bad this stuff is, which allows them to hopefully make a better choice when they're first offered it or when it's first available to them, but it will be available to them. And that's the reality. And that's what you're trying to arm your kids for, you know, is that time when they do get offered these things. It's the same with alcohol. I mean, it's almost part of growing up in Ireland, you know, that there will be a culture of of drinking amongst peers, you know, when you're again, 15, 14, 15, 16. Now, very few kids get to that age without having been offered alcohol at some point. Let's take it on to younger children then. So another addiction, screen time. <laughs> uh, you know, Easter Easter holidays are on right as we chat at the moment. There's lots of parents around the country with the weather the way it is at the moment, struggling yep. with, with this one. Um, what age should toddlers or babies be introduced to screens or have, or have or is there limits for certain age groups on how much screen time they should have? Yeah, so the um, the American Academy of, uh, what are they, Academy of Pediatrics, um, <clears throat> their recommendation is that if your child is under three, don't allow them any access to screens. So no TV, no, no iPads, no wow. tablets, no phones, no nothing. Just don't let them have access to screens. 
Um, and from there on, I think, you know, everybody accepts pragmatically it's going to be impossible almost for a child not to have some access to a screen. Um, but you really want to try and minimize it. So, I, you know, so if you have, say, toddlers, preschoolers uh, going on into maybe early primary school years, absolutely, if you can still limit it so that they only have access to screens at the weekend, uh, and then you want to try and make sure that um, as they get a bit older, that they're limited to half an hour a day, an hour a day, plus the weekend time that they might have, because, you know, the, the demand will grow as they get older, because all of their friends will be on screens doing different things. And, and so I think it can be hard as well for parents. You can feel a bit like a, a lone voice in the wilderness at times, that you are the only parent who seems to care about screens, because there are lots of parents who, for again, totally pragmatic reasons and because it's just very convenient will use screens as a form of babysitting and and keeping and their kids occupied what's the theory or the or the reason behind no screens under three do we know i think it's to do with the development of of all their other uh, skills and okay. um you know i remember hearing this dad talking about how you know his daughter was able to navigate between screens by swiping um, on his phone and she was a year and a half and I'm thinking well uh, you know uh, where is you know that kind of thumb movement a developmentally appropriate movement for a one and a half year old it's not but they don't need to do that they do need to run and jump and dance and sing and climb and all those other things and so it's about making sure that <clears throat> their time is spent on those developmentally helpful things that they can do in terms of their play and so that their imaginations can develop fully as well rather than them being I, I suppose, yeah, just lost to the world of screens, which are essentially inanimate and yet really active. So so it's like the wrong part of their brain is getting activated um, if all they're doing is is using screens as their form of entertainment or their form of, um, yeah, having fun. So so we just want to make sure that they get the breath in terms of, of just things that they can be doing that will kind of, you know, light up their brain in, in really positive ways and, and help them with all those things that they'll need later on in life. Okay, so less Coco Melon and Peppa Pig and more just, you know, normal kind of day-to-day -day play and interaction. Yeah. I mean, if you think, like, I, I don't know, certainly I know from uh, my generation, I mean, I can remember being absolutely fascinated because we were the first generation that had things like personal home computers. So, you know, the Commodore 64 and prior to that, that, we had other things. Oh my gosh, that, you know, I totally remember that. And the second Mega Drive, I had a second Mega Drive. Kilobytes, not even 64 <laughs> megabytes. I mean, when you think about the, the uh, you know, how limited these things were, but they were fascinating. And um, and so I think kids will be drawn to screens. There's no doubt about it. And it's very entertaining and very engrossing. And I mean, you mentioned role modeling uh, earlier when it came to things like vaping and stuff. But like, you know, of course, role modeling is present in every aspect of what we do. And most parents will be lost on their screens. I mean, if, if you look at a lot of um, families, if you have the, the luxury of going out to dinner, you know, and you look and you're going to a family restaurant and lots of families there. High likelihood that there will be, you know, one or other parent scrolling through their phone while there is at least one child on a tablet mm -hmm. um, and maybe more. And so, you know, it's almost like that's become how we're interacting as well. And do you ever want to go over to the parents if you see that happening? No, all I go is um, <laughs> there, but for the grace of God, go I. I had a very supportive and wise wife. Well, I still have. <laughs> I like I left her. I'm not left her. Uh, why would I? But um, yeah, but she was the one who I think was even more uh, of an advocate for, for keeping clear screens to the point that our kids, when they were growing up, didn't have access to broadcast TV until 
they were probably in their teenage years Um, and so they would have if they've had anything they'd have had you know kind of old vhs videos again god really back in the dark ages now yeah um (laughs) and so um and i used to think ah now that's a bit hard (laughs) sure surely we can let them watch a little bit of something um but actually in hindsight you know how how lucky they were i mean they didn't feel it necessarily at the time but i think they were so lucky that they didn't have um that there because now you know they're all as i say my youngest is 18 and and they're all i would say lost to their phones most of the time like a lot of young adults are uh, because that's the diet that they're just fed now and and it becomes so addictive and so you know if you find that you can't put down a screen and, and i would put myself in that category i mean i'm you know um, yeah, I'm here surrounded. I've got an iPad over here, you know, I've got the laptop, I've got a monitor, you know, I've got my phone, I've got the whole, got the whole kit and caboodle here. I have more screens on my desk right now uh, than any one man needs. And and so, you know, but I'll happily use them as well. And and I will use them for entertainment as well. Like I'll flick on, I'll watch YouTube, you know, and yeah, it's mad. And all these algorithms, like it's just, it's, it's, I don't know what marshmallow for kids' brain think or something. It's just really bad for them. And is it part of the reason that, that, presumably here's me going to say that we're seeing a rise of anxiety in children or maybe are we seeing a rise in anxiety in children how common is it is it getting worse after the likes of of covid and just the reliance on technology and screen times yeah i'm not sure i mean i don't know i haven't really read research in terms of the link between technology use and, and the rise in anxiety other than i know certainly by the time kids get to um kind of social media age, so 13, 14, you know, 12, uh, 11, 12, 13, 14, I think social media does add to anxiety. Um, but I think anxiety is uh, one of those things that, I mean, it's always going to be part of who we are, you know, we, like we have to be able to get anxious. And so we never want to get rid of anxiety, but what we want kids to grow up with is a sense of how they can regulate or manage their own anxieties. Um, and so I think COVID definitely had a big impact, you know, for things like social anxiety, an awful lot of children suffered because of that and, and suffered with the reintroduction into um, normal life and, and didn't know if they could cope, you know, back in school and places like that. And, and I think it was because they had, you know, kind of withdrawn into themselves a lot. So so for sure, anxiety is highly, yeah, it's really prevalent. But a lot of kids as well now will self-diagnose with anxiety. So I have a lot of young teenagers or teenagers coming into me going, well, I have anxiety, you know, as if like I have COVID, like I have I have this disease that I picked up. And and it's really, you know, when, when we get to talking about it, they kind of hopefully come away with a new insight that actually this is not some disease that they're, you know, now bound to suffer with for the rest of their life, that this is just an overactivation perhaps of a really natural, normal and healthy um, part of their kind of you know danger system and and they just need to be able to regulate it and, and that they they actually can regulate it so that it doesn't interfere or get in the way of other aspects of their lives talk to me about, it kind of ties in with that a little bit talk to me about fussy eating then i heard it was a fascinating joe duffy had a, a segment on it i think it may be six or eight weeks ago and it was all okay. around fussy eating it was absolutely fascinating uh and just parents there was one parent and the his, the child would only eat chips from McDonald's. That was it. So she's in the drive-through at McDonald's three times a day because the child wouldn't eat anything else because it was such a picky eater. If they're, if a parent has a picky eating child, what do they do? What? How could? How? In terms of that was around kind of food aversion more than being a picky eater, right? Obviously, but like, what do parents? What can parents do? 
Yeah, so I think one of the things that we need to remember is that children don't necessarily um, align themselves with our kind of um, whatever socially convenient mealtimes of breakfast, lunch and dinner. And so their hunger won't necessarily fit that pattern. And so most children, if left to their own devices, would probably graze through the day. So they'd eat little and often. And so that sometimes is a way to rethink how we'll approach food with kids is to make sure that we have lots and lots of healthy um, type snacks that we're happy for them to eat. So whether that be bits of fruit, bits of vegetables, whether that be uh, crackers, whether it be cheese, you know, all the stuff that we know is healthy for kids. Just have that available so that if they are hungry, they can eat that and, and move away maybe from expecting them to eat the three square meals a day. Because what will happen when we put them down in front of a dinner or a lunch and we want them to eat and they don't want to eat is that actually the issue becomes less about the food and more about the the power mm -hmm. in the family. And it becomes us trying to cajole or coerce them into eating and that creates its own dynamic. And so then that dynamic overtakes whatever it was about the child's like or dislike of a particular food. And so, I, you know, I think there's been research done and I can't remember, is it... Uh, 10 or 11 attempts sometimes you know we need to make before we can become accustomed to a new food flavor um, and so something that we might like initially you know if we have it enough sooner or later we'll come to like it and so that'll be the same for kids as well. Final question David for today is about raising a confident child uh, and presumably that's the really important thing that the child has confidence when as they grow older and face all the challenges that they're going to face are there any tips for parents to help them to be able to do that? I know that's a very long, that's a very open question, right? I get that, but you know. That's okay. Um, yes, there is a lot that parents can do. And I suppose that one of the first things that parents can do is to um, not try and fix all of their child's problems. And so we, I, I think, are almost instinctively set up to try and um, anticipate problems that our kids might face and solve them for them so that they have an easier path through life than we did. And um, the difficulty that creates then is that they actually don't have the skills to solve any problems themselves. So if we want a child to have resilience, which I think is very bound into self-confidence, this ability to kind of bounce back if they're faced by some kind of adversity or challenge, um, they have to be left to suffer. A little bit. Now, that sounds like a strange thing to suggest to parents, leave your child suffer. But the most typical example I would give is if you have a child who's in primary school and they forget their lunch, I could guarantee that if I was in front of a room full of 100 parents, 95% of those parents would probably have at some point driven into the school or made arrangements for some lunch to be got to their child, as opposed to leaving their child lunchless for the day because we don't want our child to go hungry. But your child is not going to starve over a seven-hour period. And so you're better off leaving them without their lunch because they forgot to pack their lunch or they forgot to put it into their bag or whatever they did. Um, and so leave them without their lunch. All the other kids in the class will be delighted because what the teacher will probably do is go, okay, we've got to share our lunches now yeah, with yeah. whoever, you know, David. And all the other kids are going, great, there's the apple now. And so David's left with, you know, 17 apples and three bananas <laughs> that, you know, nobody wants to eat. And and so, you know, your child will, will cope fine, you know, but what they will do is they will learn, oh, I better remember to bring my lunch because that was actually a little bit unpleasant. Not terribly traumatic, just unpleasant. Um, and so that's a kind of a natural suffering that we could let children uh, experience without rushing in to fix it for them. Mm -hmm. 
that said, I actually gave that example at a talk once and a ma'am uh, put her hand up in the front row and said, I got a phone call from the principal who asked me to come and bring in the lunch. So not all schools will leave children uh, to share their lunches. <laughs> well, they can now children. say Dr. David Coleman said, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 let your kids go hungry. <laughs> but so but but it's that kind of, you know, where, where we just fill in the gaps that we don't necessarily need to fit in, fill in. And so much better than the, what we do afterwards is we reflect with our child and go, oh, yeah, that sounds like it was miserable. Oh, and you poor thing and you were hungry. Oh, my goodness. Well, better remember now tomorrow to pack the lunch. What do we do? Will we get some kind of a new system going? Then how are we going to help you remember to bring your lunch? And so that's them then working out how they're going to remember to bring their lunch as opposed to you having to remember to bring their lunch all the time. And so that's one thing that they just don't ever learn. And so it's that kind of ability, I suppose, to recognize that, yes, life will throw you curveballs every so often, and it's partly your job to try and fix the curveballs or respond to the curveball that allows kids then to have the confidence to approach situations as opposed to feeling like, well, I don't know what to do. I've, I've no skills. I, I have nothing in my tool bag that will help me deal with this situation. And so ideally, we want our kids to experience these kind of small little setbacks or, or you know, difficult moments that are not, as I say, too traumatic. You know, they'll go through the suffering that might be attached to that. And then afterwards, we reflect with them and help them to learn what they might do instead. OK, so let them experience something small and then using the, the kind of when then analogy that, you know, when you pack your lunch, then you won't be hungry uh, yeah. as a yeah. way as a, as a way. Yeah. And, and what will help you to remember to pack your lunch? Again, not you deciding what will help them remember to pack their lunch, but what might they come up with yeah. to help them remember to pack their lunch? And it might be that, you know, they say, oh, I don't know. I need to have a lunchbox in the car. And you say, OK, we put a lunchbox in the car. So when you see the lunchbox, you'll remember to check your own bag to see if you've got yeah. your own lunchbox in the car. Or they may say, can we put a sign up by the door? Or they may say, just put my lunchbox, you know, kind of uh, on my bed or put it with my clothes. You always leave my clothes out for me. Leave my lunchbox out for me with my clothes. Who knows what they'll come up with? But it's about them being part of that solution that allows them to think, oh, I now know how to solve a problem. And if I know how to solve this problem, I can solve maybe lots of other problems too. Epic. I love it. Where can people find your content on Instagram? I know I, I, I find it all the time, but uh, remind us of your Instagram <laughs> details. You poor thing, you're getting fed it now at this stage. Aren't you? Those it goes into my feed. Every new video that comes up, it's in my feed. Like, there's David again. He's got another new video out. So uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm at, at davidcoleman.ie if anybody wants to uh, to find me. And yeah, I'm trying to put up reels uh, every day. Well, every working day, Monday to Friday, I'm trying to put up reels. Um, and so they're just, so people have already sent me in tons of questions. I'm still working through a huge backlog of questions, but I'll be putting up um, maybe another question box for people if they want to ask more questions or people just keep dming me questions anyway i don't think i'll ever be short of questions <laughs> and my, my goal is to try and put up a, a response a day to to a question so um they're there for people and, and so there's a whole yeah little kind of um a bank of them there already for people if they want to have a look back and see their their, their own query may well have been answered already amazing listen it's been great to catch up as always and uh, we'll catch up for a surf very very soon either in uh, over your neck of the woods or you over now, you're, you're so close to it now absolutely we're getting closer <laughs> we're getting closer listen david good to see you folks that is it for today's episode of real health i really hope you enjoyed it great content great tools and great tips you know where we are as always at carl henry pt on instagram uh and real health at independent.ie on email have a great week and we'll see you next week so long ago folks